this is not something that you can do two, three years into your career, right? Mm -hmm. This is something that I've, I've worked hard for, right? It was always a goal of mine to be able to do the things that I want. Hello world and welcome to the Millennial Outlier podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Justin Deal, with my co-host, Tyler Arger and Ty Guy. What's the good word today, brother? Yo, what's going on, bro? Not too much. So friends, I want to start this episode off a little differently. Uh, and I'm gonna start off with an apology. So here's why. So Tyler and I were talking the other day and I realized, you know, if we're really gonna talk to the millennials, all we've highlighted so far for you guys is entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurs are a very small percentage of the overall fabric that is the millennials. Also with that is that's not the only way to create a beautiful life for yourself. So one of my good friends came top of mind for me when I was kind of going through this. Uh, this individual works for a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, he is not the number one or the number two, but he created an amazing life for himself. Financial freedom, personal freedom. He has a family. He's a coach. He hates when I say it, but he was the number one <laughs> Uh, rep in all of North America. Uh, the company he works with is Robert Half. So we're also going to jump into quite a bit about recruitment, sales, and a lot of things that are going on in the industry and what he sees. Uh, but first, let me welcome Ben York. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate the you know, opportunity to be on here. Absolutely, man. It's great to finally get you on. So let's, as we usually do, we're going to jump into some of the, the nuts and bolts of things. But let's start Take us back to Benny Boy, the young guy. I also <laughs> didn't mention he was a very high-level hockey player, which we'll jump into. But tell us about you know relationship growing up with your parents, sure. what childhood was like, and we'll go from there. Sure. All right. Well, I um, promise I won't talk too much about myself and my family life, but um, I, I had a pretty unique upbringing. Um, my parents had me late in life, so they're both uh, early 40s. I was an only child, so as you can imagine, a lot of attention on me. Um, you know, basically I had uh, big shoes to fill, right? Mm -hmm. uh, my father was an entrepreneur, um, started a company right out of uh, Vietnam, came back from the war, um, wound up starting his own company, building it up, uh, and then selling it to a, a, a national conglomerate, Napa Auto Parts. So he was in the uh, automotive world for about 35 years. Um, so although I wasn't an entrepreneur coming out of college, um, I saw firsthand, you know, what entrepreneurial success can lead to, you know, the types of uh, things I was I was afforded to, you know, the opportunities I was given were all because of, of my father. He was not college educated. Um, you know, he just had a, a will to work and, and a work ethic that was unmatched. Um, the other thing I, I, you know, can say about my upbringing is, you know, I learned quickly that opportunity, opportunity given to you is is rarely taken advantage of to its fullest. You know, like I saw many, many people who grew up same way I did, given plenty of opportunities and, and they didn't they didn't take full advantage of them. You know, I was lucky enough to go to a, a, a an all all boys Catholic high school, which was one of the best in the area. It's called Silesiana in Delaware. Um, got me into an awesome college, got me a great education. Um, you know, and I saw many people my age who were given the same opportunities. But what did they do with that? You know, like what, what did they come out of college with and and how did they really, you know, um, Fully, fully take advantage of that opportunity. Um, so, you know, although I may have not um, 
started my own business right out of college, or I'm, I may not own my own business right now. Uh, I had an entre- entrepreneurial spirit and a drive that was instilled in me in a, in a really young age. Um, I'm also one of those unique people that started <laughs> a job right out of school, and I'm still in the same still in the same company. Yeah, right you know, uh, eleven years in 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 within Robert Half, I've kind of done the full gambit of what you can do at Robert Half. Um, you know, and and still was able to use my entrepreneurial spirit, own my business, you know, um, manage clients, manage relationships, um, you know, and and I think it's a lot of what we'll talk about today. But, you know, longevity in my role is what afforded me those things that you talked about, financial freedom, you know, a family that's taken care of um, the ability to do what I want when I want um, is is probably the biggest luxury that I've been able to build for myself. Um, but you can't do that in a in a year's time. You can't do that in three years' time. You know, it takes it takes a while. Absolutely. And I love hearing that about your dad because that's kind of how my mother is as well. Where you know, Ed Milet talks about the one in the family that kind of changes the trajectory of all future generations. And it sounds like that's a lot of what your dad, between knowledge, just between the example, and then obviously some finances as well. As you know, I know he retired at a younger age for you he retired when i was 15 old. so he was very involved in my life at a very critical time you know yeah, sophomore yeah. year of high school you know involved in college selection involved in all my extracurricular activities including hockey mm-hmm. you know so um that was that was a really really big uh thing for for my upbringing yeah and that's not to be missed parents out there right it's what he just said his dad was very present and was able to help him make the right decisions was able to guide you know, sometimes we get so lost in what we're doing every day because you know, obviously he was getting to the point of retirement at that age. But for those who aren't, you're like so wrapped in your own day to day things that we sometimes forget that it is our job to nurture and help create for that next generation. So I love that. But let's jump into when you started at Robert Half, because yep. I know you're a few years younger than me, but you didn't graduate into like the best market for a job. And you were telling me earlier, which I didn't realize it. It was a bit of the Wolf of Wall Street back then. So, yeah, share the stories. 100%. So I was paid a measly salary at 22 years old. Um, you know, you're expected to come in 730 in the morning, there, ready to go. Planner full of calls. Um, day planned out, ready to, you know, pound the pavement, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's a lot of what attributed to my success is that I came in with an old school mentality and old school structure. You know, fast forward to 2023, the structure within Robert Half and how we sell is much different than what it was in 2012 and 2013 when I first started. Um, You know, technology has vastly improved in 10 years. Sure. Um, Our system and, you know, Salesforce, right? It's extremely capable. The AI that we have, it does a lot of the work that we used to have to do previously for us. Um, So... Very old school mentality, you know, you were basically put into situations where you had to talk to people who were far above your pay grade, right? CFOs, controllers, HR directors, um, sometimes even presidents of companies. And, you know, you're you're basically trying to capture their time and attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you do that? You know, how do you distinguish yourself from the next person who's calling with the same type of service that you provide? Um, so that old school you know, pound the pavement mentality. Um, it, it worked well for my work ethic, right? Structure is important in sales. And it provided a nice structure and framework that, you know, I still use a lot of those those 
tendencies to this day, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of the things I was taught 10, 11 years ago, it's just kept, it stayed in my repertoire, you know, yeah. and, and 10 years ago too, you know, you didn't have, you didn't have all these different ways of reaching out to people, right? Like social media was not as big of a presence, what you guys do, right? Getting yourself out there, right? It was very much picking up the phone, trying to get in front of these people, however that may be. Um, you know, and <clears throat> I would say it's, it's, it's a, it's a lacking skill now, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to focus in and just, you know, use your, use your, use what's, a, what's available to you, right? Like all this information is given to you as an employee of Robert Half. What do you do with it? You know, all this labor data, all this, all these statistics, all this, um, you know, market Intel that you're providing to different, to different, uh, touch points, Right. How do you get it out there? And how do you get it out there without social media? You know, it's it's basically picking up the phone, getting in front of people, making them feel as though they need to meet you. And as a 22-year-old, it's not easy to do. Your time is is probably not worth as much as the person on the other end of the phone. So how do you make it appear that it is? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you make it appear that you're going to add value to this, this prospect? Um, so. Yeah, I, I love that. So. You know, for people, because um, I think, like you said, having those old school tendencies are important. Um, having the structure, especially in sales, meeting those you know certain calls a day and, and all that stuff. So for, say, a millennial, you know, kind of just getting into a sales role or even someone younger, um, what are those things that you would, those tactics you would use to, you know, get that person to think that they want to meet you? So in a, you know, in a call environment. In a call environment, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the, the beauty of, of working for a big company like Robert Half is that we're very well known, right? You, t- you pull, if you pull 10 CFOs in a room, seven or eight of them are going to know who we are, what we do, what we provide. Um, it's, it's basically distinguishing yourself in a way that you appear to be a market expert, right? We're not selling a tangible product. You know, I, I'm not selling widgets. I'm not selling microphones. I'm selling people. I'm selling the service of providing people, really. Right. Um, a lot of cases, you don't have a product to show. So it, it becomes a bigger challenge, right? When you when you can present to a prospect and say, here's what I provide. Here is exactly how it works. Here's the breakdown of cost, everything. And, it's a lot you know, easier. It's a lot easier. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's the sell in itself, right? People are difficult. The hiring process is difficult. So it's explaining to the prospect that, hey, what I do is completely free until I get you exactly what you're looking for. And then educating them on the market, educating them on what's real, what's not, expectations, um, realistic time frames, things like that. Um, which, again, for a 22-year-old, is not easy. Yeah. It's not easy. You can't just pick up the phone and say, hey, Justin, I know you're the VP of, of payday, payroll resources. You should meet me because I work for Robert Half. It's just not the way it works. Yeah. right? But if I call and I say, Justin... This is Ben from Robert Half. You know, I recently helped two payroll organizations find very difficult payroll talent in this market. I would love to have a discussion with you about how I can help you prepare for 2024, go over the the hiring landscape and what's realistic in your next hire. Mm -hmm. And now what I've done is I've brought some tangible evidence of me helping other organizations with similar problems, right? I'm, I'm coming with value you know, and I'm still providing a solution, right? Because 
you don't know when you're, that's the one thing about hiring. It's, a, it's, we often say it's the business of you never know. Mm-hmm. You never know when you need to hire. Yeah. You know, Susie Q could come into your office tomorrow morning, who's been working with you for 10 years, say, hey, got a new opportunity. I'm out of here in two weeks. What do you do? Mm-hmm. So getting past that initial meeting and creating that relationship is the biggest challenge in our role. They need to think of you when that hiring need happens. Right. So why don't we actually, let's jump into that a little deeper and talk about both sides of the coin. So for the candidates out there that are trying to find that right job right now, they're trying to differentiate themselves, move up in the world, whatever the reason is, what are you seeing within the market? What are ways that they can kind of help get their foot better in the door? Um, you know, just what kind of gems do you have to kind of help folks yeah. find that next dream job? So there's a lot of uncertainty right now with a lot of different things. There's, there's factors that people cannot control. Um, we have an election year upon us. Um, you know, the way the state of the economy definitely fuels, um, you know, companies willingness to hire. Um, you know, we're seeing that there is a lot of reluctancy to pull the trigger. Um, you know, all the existing themes of pre-pandemic still exist today, right? There's competition in the market. There's multiple offers. There's counter offers. All that's always been there, right? But now you have these other factors, right? I could get a job fully remote based in Wisconsin. Three years ago, you weren't competing against that same opportunity. Right. Now you are. So... There's a lot of candidates out there that are passively seeking, trying to find, you know, this magical position out there, which we're now seeing fully remote work is dying. Yeah. It's dying. You know, everything is hybrid at least in some way or another, you know, um, we just, we just don't see the fully remote opportunities anymore. So these, these candidates out there that are foregoing local opportunities for the thought of this magical remote position coming it's just not there Mm -hmm. so it's this push and pull with clients and candidates where you're managing expectations on both sides and really just trying to make them realize what's realistic and what's not um but it's a lot of external factors that are outside of people's control sure now how about from the the client's perspective now I guess we should also say, you know, you, you are specifically in accounting and finance yep. as your division. So this isn't probably true across all industries, but in that specific field for the business that's going out, yep. what, like you said, with the multiple offers, with this hybrid schedule, what are they doing that you're seeing to incentivize folks to want to come work for them and to kind of double down on that? We also talked about a lot of the management positions of folks retiring. Yeah. So what kind of conundrum is that yeah. creating? That's it's a giant conundrum, really. Um, and again, that's some factors that are outside of control, right? Baby boomers are now of retirement age and who makes up the majority of managerial positions. You know, baby it's boomers, yeah. baby boomers. Um, but now you have this struggle where there isn't a lot of growing from within. There's a lot of people jumping from one organization after two or three years. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about finance and accounting, but a lot of these themes reign true in, in other sectors of the market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so what do you have? You have a managerial gap, right? You have people who are new to companies, maybe being asked to manage and lead who aren't actually managers, right? Then you have the gap that's created from the boomers leaving and also just, frankly, 
a lack of managerial skill in mm. the market. I mean, it's probably the hardest thing out there is finding people who manage and lead successfully. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, we talked about it with accountability, right? That's something that's, I mean, we talk about it in several aspects of life on the podcast all the time, but it's, it's tough to find people who will willingly hold others accountable. And, and it sounds like from a conversations, like I, I try to, you know, uh, learn from you all the time because we're building our different policies and procedures and you guys have it all. You guys measure things that I've never even thought about. And I'm like, wow, mm -hmm. like the, the, the possibilities in the future yeah. for folks when, um, when they're trying to do that, I think we were talking about earlier, it's like, you know, you have to be very clear with what it is that you want done. You have to express why it's important for the people to do so. And then on the third step is that you have to hold people accountable, whether it be a write-up, having a more stern conversation. And a lot of folks just don't, every, a lot of people want to be people's friends, which yeah, I get. They yeah. want to be the people pleaser, but that's not what managers do. Managers are really there to ensure that you know the wheels stay greased and they keep turning yep. and there's very specific measurements that they have so you know what do you kind of see and i know you don't have a crystal ball but if we were to take the election year out because i know that's a huge other variable what are kind of things that businesses can do to really get themselves in a good position to hire for the upcoming year it's a good question um I mean, money is on the top of everybody's mind. Mm. I mean, I will tell you that is the number one thing that I am having conversations about with candidates and clients. You know, it's it's I have X budgeted for this this salary, this range. Market the market says that this this range should really be about ten percent higher. These are your qualifications. You're not going to get these qualifications at this budget. You know, same thing with the candidate side. And I, I wanted to mention this earlier. There's a whole slew of people that want to work in a hybrid or on site as well, believe it or not. Although it may seem that there is, you know, everybody wants to work remotely. You'd be surprised how many people I talk to now that work remotely or work in a hybrid schedule and want to get back into an office culture. So to answer your question a little bit more pointed, I, I did want to say that, but to answer your question a little bit more pointed, I think it's really doing a deep dive on compensation. Hmm. I think compensation should be at the top of every every president, every CFO, every HR director, compensation director. They should be doing analysis on all of that, you know, and finding creative ways to maybe free up money elsewhere to pump back into your employees. Attrition should be on the top of every employer's mind because going back to my point about the gap, that's only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. But we're kind of in the middle of the of the baby boomer, call it crisis, if you will, or, yeah. or retirement surge, you know, it's not going to get any better before it gets worse. And then you couple that with, again, I'm talking about finance and accounting. The number of kids coming out of college right now with a finance and accounting degree is the lowest I've seen in my entire time at Robert Half. And the number continues to dwindle. It's like hmm. year after year, it, it, the, the pool of candidates is shrinking. The quality is shrinking. Um, I don't know if there is a lack of interest in finance and accounting, but the way I see it, it's not a, it's not a sector of the market that's going anywhere. I mean, no matter how good AI is, no matter how good your system is, there's always going to need to be human eyes on the numbers, yeah. on your financial statements. It's always going to be, it, it, I just don't foresee that ever being the case. You know, there's always going to be people who need to enter you know, enter in different data in the system. They're going to need to pull checks, invoice, whatever it is. 
So if you're not looking at compensation and you're not looking at a succession plan already, that should be the biggest thing you're looking at in 2024. Take a deep dive on all your employees, maybe go dive, dive deeper into your year end conversations with these employees, find out really where their head's at, what their five, 10 year plan is. You know, you can get a lot out of somebody if you ask them, hey, what's your five to 10 year plan? Mm-hmm. You know, as a manager, even if they're a transactional accounting staff, or maybe for you as an example, maybe someone who processes payroll, mm-hmm. what how they answer that question can tell you a lot about where their head's at and whether you as an employer need to be concerned. Am I going to have to replace this person in a couple of years? Am I going to have to replace this person next year? Mm-hmm. Right. Not, so, okay. Yeah. So um, one, what you just went over, has that changed? Uh, the compensation being the most critical part. Has that changed recently or has it always been like that? It's a theme I'm seeing more recently, like back, back. So go pre-COVID. I, exactly. Everybody, pre, pre, pre-pandemic, yeah. It's like BCA, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pre-COVID. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like things like benefits, right? They're always a factor. But what I'm seeing is most organizations offer good benefits, yeah. Yeah. you know, like it, it's and the market's changed quite a bit. So buying power wasn't what it used to be. And, Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you still have those organizations that will offer, you know, full benefits, no out of pocket costs. Obviously, those are are nice situations. Yeah. Um, you know, the days of pensions. Right. Yeah, it's gone. Kind of gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone offers a 401k. I was just going to say that yeah. you read my mind. Um, you know, it, so really, what does it come down to? Just Two pay. things. It's pay and, and culture. Yeah. 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 And, and culture, I feel like, needs to be more in the mind of um, reinvesting back into your people, right? It's like yeah. you said, asking those yeah. questions. Yeah, I think that's what real leaders do is they cast a vision big enough that they can bring everybody's goals to life. And, you know, and I think that's a lot of times what's missed. People think culture is like, oh, you can bring your dog to the office and we do yeah. pajama days and we got nap pods. And, you know, it, I've always I always used to like look at people like they're crazy. I'm like, of course, people only care about the money. It's like that's how most employees think. Right. It's like yeah. most of America lives paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So they want to know that that paycheck's getting fatter. Right. Right. Correct. And on the um, so on I know you talked about specifically accounting and finance with the graduating and, you know, that pool lessening. Um, is that, I don't know if you look at other sectors, but is that a similar trend in all sectors? Because, I mean, we've talked about it um, on prior episodes about, you know, our or mine, I guess, I don't want to speak for Justin, um, I guess, hesitancies to maybe our kids going to college. Sure. Um, with, you know, everything you see nowadays sure. that's out there about, you know, like for me, for example, I went, you know, I went to school, got a degree at Rowan and everything, but did I need to? Probably not. <laughs> and that's a big majority of yeah. people our age and millennials. Absolutely. You can use me as an example. I mean, I right. got a finance degree from, from Loyola University, top 50 business school, and I was set up to be a financial advisor. I had a job at Merrill Lynch, ready to go, passed my series seven. And then went into sales. Turned it down at the 11th hour. Yeah. You know, and I often, and my, my father hates that I say this, but I often <laughs> say like, I don't even know if I use any part of my degree. Yeah. You yeah, know, I, I definitely don't. I mean, I guess management kind of, I don't know. But yeah, right. I could have learned a lot of it on YouTube. Yeah, but You didn't, you didn't need a six-figure <laughs> uh, debt to, to figure that out. But right. have you saw other sectors being similar to that? Because I haven't looked at the number, you know, yeah. those types of numbers. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and if you look at like general degrees too, mm-hmm. right, like where those people wind up, 
I hate to say it, but generally speaking, if you have a general business degree, you're probably ending up in sales or something. Sales yeah. or some sort of back office type role, mm-hmm. probably accounting and finance. I mean, if you did a deep dive in your payroll staff, how many of them have general business degrees or so we actually we joke about this all the time because we just ironically say that you know, the most successful people within our business, none of us have college degrees. So a lot of folks <laughs> with degrees are working for folks or working with, I should with say. Entrepreneurs but with, that that correct, that right. didn't ever graduate college. Yep. I think it's just the cost factor anymore. Like when I sit and I talk to my advisor, like right. wh- what is my kid gonna get as a job that the three hundred and fifty thousand dollar education is gonna warrant? Yeah. Right. Like yeah. you literally need to be making like 150 grand a year coming out of college to afford that and then have any lifestyle. Think right. about when you were 21, 22 years old, too. Yeah. Right? Like where yeah. That's the last thing. It's monopoly you know? money. Yeah. That's kind of the joke of college. That's yeah. why I've always said, honestly, I think the one thing that Canadians have on us hockey players specifically yeah. is that you guys <laughs> go pro for they go pro for a couple of years or semi pro, whatever that's considered. And then they go to college. So you're like a freshman at 21. Yeah. yeah and you way, at least have a little life experience. Yeah. The way in America it works for hockey players is you, you have three years of junior hockey eligibility. So when you graduate high school, you have three more years to go play junior hockey to try and get a college scholarship. And so you can be 21 coming in as a freshman. Right. Right. But um, you're still so young. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. When you look at the grand yeah. scheme of things. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Think about your interests at 21. Right. Yeah. Think about your interests at 19. They're not very different. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Now, now speaking of interests, that's a great pivot. So golf was one thing we all share. And you just happen to be the best golfer in this room. And I'm okay to admit (laughs) that. Um, But a lot of people criticize me. And I'm sure they criticize you at times. And and, you're not out there as often. I was going to throw you out there. I know, but I still get it. Yeah. But, you know, people don't believe that you're doing business on the golf course. And I have constantly seen you close business on the golf course. So can you talk a little bit about that? Love to. Um, Again, this is not something that you can do two, three years into your career. Right. Mm -hmm. This is something that I've, I've worked hard for. Right. It was always a goal of mine to be able to do the things that I want. Um, golf being a main, you know, main, the, the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I'm a member of Woodcrest and in evaluating even just the club that I joined. Right. I know you did this, too. Um, it's the people that I met. Right. Did I feel like this was going to be more than golf? And I did. And it has been, mm-hmm. you know, three years in. The relationships I've built within my course have been tremendous. And now at this point in my career where so much is referral based, you know, and friends of friends, friends of friends of friends, um, it it really just, it's natural. That's the beauty of it. It's just so natural. You know, I will say it's a little easier when you, when you can play golf, right? Like when you're, when you're a decent golfer, it's easy to meet new people, not just at your course, but wherever you are, you know, absolutely. Um, but whether it's taking phone calls on the course or even just taking clients out for rounds, going to different events with you guys, um, you know, I'm constantly meeting people. Mm-hmm. You never know who you're going to run into on the golf course. Yeah. I mean, y- you never know who's in front of you. You never know who's behind you. You never know who you're going to go have a beer with in the clubhouse afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but you think about all those calls it takes, right, to make one connection with a prospect. Versus you guys are in your natural element doing what you love. It's an easy convo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so much easier to build the relationship, you, the camaraderie, you know, of 
you're joking around, you know, stuff like that. Whereas like you said, you come in cold on a call with a guy. Yeah. He's going to be a little standoffish or probably very standoffish very. nowadays. <laughs> nowadays, because yeah. you get the spam thing on your yeah. phone. You're like, I ain't yeah. answering that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Justin brings, you know, a client or whatever that he wants me to meet or however, you know, however we work it out. Um, now the guy's sitting with me for four hours and we're joking around. We're talking about our kids. We're talking about, mm -hmm. oh, oh, awesome shot, dude. You know, and then after it's like just natural. And you spend oh, you do insurance? Like here's hours with them. Right. Yeah. I mean. Right. Yeah, I always say I'm either going to be the godchild of your next kid or you're going to be like, that guy's not for me. But there's no in between. That's it. And the other beauty, too, is the the attractiveness of the exclusivity of the club, right? right. So when you're yeah. prospecting to people as well, outside of the amazing community in there, certain folks have never played at the Legacy or Burlington. Right. And that's very appealing to invite them because not everybody has the luxury of getting out as often as we we can. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, oh, I've always wanted to play that course. It's a lot and different it, than saying, hey, let's go play Pittman. Correct. Yeah, afternoon. correct. That's like no, a, no disrespect to Batman, but yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, there is something nice about that pride and just <laughs> yeah. the, the vibe that the staff brings yeah. and everything. They know with your that. name. Yeah. Right? yeah. Plus like, you're like telling them all how it works. Like, right. you know, yeah. he's like, oh yeah, you can put your clubs over there, you know. Yeah. They know your stories yeah, of like yeah, yeah, this yeah, part, yeah. like this thing happened here on the course. Yeah. Um, or you're playing with them, right? And then you run into someone else that you know. And I know you love this, mm -hmm. right? Making connections. Oh yeah. You're playing with 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 a prospect, and then you run into Ken Dunnick, mm -hmm. right? On a, on a hole in front of you, and then you say, "Oh, I want you to meet Ken Dunnick. Here's why." Yeah. And you make that connection for them. Yeah, right there. Right there. That's my favorite part it's of right business. There. Absolutely. That's what you know? that's what lights me on fire right there. <laughs> so you're also uh, new to being a father, which congratulations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, you know, obviously I was joking quite a bit with you on what the changes were going to be sure. in your golf game and things. <laughs> so why don't you talk, you know, Tyler and I talk a lot about it. And we have multitude of children between the two of us, <laughs> but you are brand new I to am this. far behind you guys. Yeah. But yeah. talk to the, uh, the audience double digits, bit. dude. Shoot. Yeah, I was but... just doing the math. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so what has that experience been like you for the harmony of home with your wife, sure. being with your son, balancing business, social activities, coaching? Yep. So let me start off by saying it was part of what I wanted to work towards with my personal family is I wanted to be able to offer my wife the ability to to be a stay-at-home mom. Mm. Um, never was I ever saying to her, like, you know, you need to do this or you need to do that. I just wanted to give her the ability to do it. She made the decision on her own. Um, I always say my wife's the educated one. She's got a master's degree. She was a teacher. Um, got kind of fed up with 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 teaching in in New Jersey for a whole slew of reasons. We don't need to go on a yeah, tangent right. about that. <laughs> um, so that was big, right? And it has proven to be tremendous. And we first off start by saying that being a stay at home mom is oh, yeah. insane. Like it, it, it yeah. she never stops. I mean, from the time she gets up to the time we put him down, mm -hmm. she is always doing something. Yep. You know, and I'm lucky that I do work a hybrid schedule where I'm I'm home and I can help her. Um, and I will say that is been extremely rewarding. The, uh, the thought of me having to be away from him five days a week, 60 plus hours, you know, talk about talk about what motivates people to change jobs. Mm -hmm. That would motivate me to change a job if I couldn't be around my son. Um, so those are two major factors. I mean. Yeah, socially, I definitely did not play as many rounds this year than I did last year. Um, <laughs> you were getting it in that last year. I think 
purposely because yeah, you knew. He was front load and he was like, let's see if we can get to 100 yeah, rounds. You definitely knew that <laughs> was coming. And I coming. smashed that. <laughs> um, you yes. knew it was coming. Yeah, so I, I definitely got my rounds in in 2022. But I still still play plenty of golf, um, you know, mostly during the week. And that was kind of my rule as well as, you know, keep golf into the afternoons and the weekdays. Weekends are all family time, you know. Yeah, agreed. Um, and that's just, that's really important. Um, so I definitely went all around on that question. But I think the biggest learning moment for me um or even just overall theme is my patience level has gone up mm-hmm. quite a bit i mean i don't know if it's the crying i don't know if it's the noise <laughs> yeah, and right. always being occupied but i i feel like i have more patience now than i ever have and for people that know me i am always <laughs> going i am always doing something i am very impatient yeah you know it's just in my chemical makeup that's funny i wouldn't um, really because i feel like you're pretty even keel like me i mean we you and i it takes a lot for us to get rattled and i think sports has a lot to do with that it does i, I think it, it maybe patience isn't the right word but more so um get agitated non-stop yeah, or, yeah yeah like i get I, agitated yeah. not not as much anymore like you said to your point with the kids and everything babies all the time but um, yeah, before like you get just a little thing will set you off. Like, yeah. <laughs> you got to leave or and whatever. And now it's like small potatoes. Yeah. You know, yeah. even business related. I, you know what I mean? Yep. It's like almost caused me to relax more in my business, mm-hmm. uh, which was which was proven to be beneficial. good. It's good. Yeah. It's beneficial. Yeah. Now with that, so a little deeper into that, have you found that like your why in life has changed a bit or your like perception of yourself? So the reason I ask, you know, having the three girls first, yeah, I always thought more about like the example I was setting for like the husband and just how men should treat women and sure. things like that. But when I had Landon, there was something about a son that was like it just it made me take myself that much more serious because I was like, wow, there was literally a little version of me, even though he looks exactly like Gina, <laughs> but a little guy that's mine that every step I take, he's in the yeah. shadow of. So has that like hit you? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I mean took a little bit it wasn't you know as soon as we brought him home you know yeah. but um i'd say with he's nine months now um i'd say within the last five six months um my mentality has definitely shifted probably what caused this you know this new era of patience and everything because i mean before i felt like i was doing everything for megan and i to give us the life we wanted mm-hmm. we have the life that we wanted so now my mentality is how can I set him up for success the best I possibly can? So you keep bringing up coaching. I actually coach three hockey teams. Mm. You may say, how the hell do you have time? For I didn't that? realize it was that many. <laughs> many yeah, I coach, um, I coach a midget team out of the skate zone in Voorhees where the Flyers practice. Um, I think they like little people, Ben. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Hockey, hockey is not friendly when it comes to PC. Yeah, it goes squirt, pee wee, squirt, pee wee, bantam midget. Oh, I'm surprised that nobody's in their feelings and nobody's. Well, they still call football name. midgets, right? Uh, that's midgets true. Football? Yeah. Well, no, I think it's Pop Warner these days. Oh, I think yeah, they've yeah, gone yeah. back to like the 1970s slogan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I coach three teams, and you know that has also really changed me because I'm coaching high school aged kids mm. and you know it feels like yesterday that we were in their shoes a lot of times yeah um, but there's so much that I've learned in the 15 years after graduating high school that I I just want to share with them you know what I mean I just want to give them as much info 
and opportunity as possible. Like a lot of these kids have been coaching for three, four years. Um, and to see them now going through this critical part in their life, right, where they're deciding on college, deciding on what college, mm -hmm. if they're going to go to college, you know, are they going to go to county school? All these things, you know, hockey is like this frame, all sports, right? It's a framework for life. You learn a lot about the game. You love the game, but there's so much within the game that is applicable to life. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yes, having a son has definitely changed, but being a coach has also changed it. It kind of like, it, it hit me at the right time. Like I had this big realization, you know, that being a father is a lot like being a coach. And yeah. your, your way you set an example, the way you hold accountability, you know, the, the things you say, they hear everything. Yeah. You know, so I coach three very different teams too, I might, I might add. I coach a club team. So it's all pay to play. Parents pay a lot of money for these kids to play. I coach a prep school team, uh, the Haverford School, which is out of Haverford, Pennsylvania. Kids, it's a sanctioned sport by the, by the, by the high school. So the kids are not paying anything out of pocket. It's mm -hmm. just like playing football for your school. Yep. And the third team that I coach is Shawnee's ice hockey team, mm -hmm. which is pay to play. But everybody's from Medford. Everybody's from that general vicinity. Yeah, so okay. you kind of understand the demographic, right? Yeah. Um, the differences amongst the kids, not just where they're located, the schools they go to, so different. It's just so different. I've learned so much, hmm. you know, um, the, the mentality of the kids that go to a prep school versus the mentality of the kids that go to a public school, how they treat their activities, mm -hmm. how they treat everything extracurricular beyond school. You know, it's, it's really, really opened my eyes. Um, now I took the Haverford role because I want, I want my son to go there. I mean, it's probably one of the best high schools in the Delaware Valley, even the East coast, not just for sports, but academics. Um, but I see the difference and I see, you know, I see what, what that kind of education can do for a kid. Mm -hmm. And I just, I want that for my son so bad. And it's like that, that, that thought, that mentality, I'll do whatever I can. To, to get him to a school like that. Now with us, so you were talking a bit <laughs> like about patience and I think, you know, coaching and parenting obviously goes hand in hand with that yeah. and dealing with adversity and things like that. And if you're okay to talk about it, I didn't tell you we we're going to bring this up. But I know when Grayson was born, you, you, there were some complications in yep. the beginning. So can you, cause I think sometimes people don't realize although everything, is. how yeah. common a, but B like, how the world's still spinning. You have to keep it all together, but your mind's somewhere else. Yep. Yeah. So can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So Grayson, uh, was born early. Um, but he had a, uh, it was a blood sugar issue. So his body was not, um, regulating his blood sugar and his, um, his glucose levels to where it needed to be. And your body produces insulin. Mm -hmm. Um, so he was overproducing insulin. So this is actually a pretty common thing for babies, not even babies that are born, early babies that are born full term. Okay. Um, it's called stress-induced HI, hyperinsulinism, hyperinsulinism, however you say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he was in the NICU um, for a while. It was probably about seven weeks. Oh, wow. Um, it was the toughest, toughest seven weeks of both of our lives. I mean, that's without a doubt. Um, mainly because... I was still doing everything. I never mm -hmm. took paternity leave. Yep. Right. Yeah. A lot of people take paternity leave. I, I didn't, I didn't do it. You know, um, I would say 
what most people don't realize is how common it is for babies to end up in the NICU. And that's what I learned. Mm-hmm. You know, you often, you have a baby, oh, is the baby happy? And are you, everybody healthy? Yeah, healthy. Yeah. yeah. It's the first thing that everybody asks you, yeah. right? And and I think they ask you that subconsciously because they they hear a lot about people, you know, mm-hmm. babies being born and and there's, there's complications. Not every birth is perfect. Yeah. You okay. know what I mean? Um, I will tell you this, being there and being around those nurses and doctors makes you feel like the most unimportant person. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they hold life in their hands. Yep. They have extreme stress. I mean, and truthfully, they don't have all the answers that you think doctors have. Yeah. 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 That's, you know, that's what that, I've learned after the, the past like five, 10 years. Like they don't know, like they can't diagnose. You're yeah. like, yeah. you're the person that's supposed to tell me. <laughs> it's trial and error. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's crazy. That was the toughest part about it is like, yeah. we know what's wrong, but we don't know how to, you know, we don't know how to fix it right now. And we don't know how long it's going to take for it to fix itself. Yep. Right. And there's no way of knowing. So the uncertainty killed us. Yeah. Um, and the trial and error killed us. Like, hey, let's yeah. try this medication or let's try, you know, he, whatever it is, whatever adjustment we're making, it's like every every couple of days we're making an adjustment. It's like, how is he going to react to this adjustment? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really puts things into perspective about, you know, what they do on a day in and day out basis. Um, you know, really makes you cherish life, uh, makes you appreciate, you know, you don't have to deal with that, right? Like yeah, these, yeah. There's these people out there, these these gracious people who have chosen this as a as a as a career mm-hmm. yeah so us three in here you know can sell can run businesses yeah you know what yeah, i mean yeah, yeah. it pales in comparison to what we have to do every day every yeah. time that we've been at, like chop with the kids it's always i say the same thing it's like the utmost respect for those people because i'm sure a lot of them have kids so like taking yeah. that home with you without taking that home with you yeah, has to be awesome. such a tightrope walk yeah and just you know the fact that we have that in our backyard you know, as much as people love the knock the north the northeast new jersey especially i get it with the gray skies and we don't have the best weather all the time but we have like premier healthcare in this area i mean we just have some of the best in the world and when you go to a place like chop and you're in your moment going through it and you hear the stories around you it again, again just like yeah. humbles you because you're like i almost feel like an ass for even feeling bad about my situation yeah. when, there's a kid with, you know, a brain tumor or cancer yeah. or something right next to me. Yeah, and that yeah. was a big part about it, too. I mean, we spent every day in the NICU, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're there every day. You're seeing people coming and going. You know, yeah. you may have a nurse who is down the way dealing with something exponentially worse. You know, there may be a a death, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, there's buzz, buzzers going off, sirens going off. If there's an emergency, you know, it just – it's – it gets real, real fast, yeah. real fast. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and to your point with the um, trial and error and everything, um, like I said, I, you know, with having kids and everything, I have saw that too of where like, what do you mean you don't know? You, 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 there's yeah. no like pill, like medicine that'll right. make it go away. Right. So um, that's like around when I had that shift of, you know, pre-COVID, right before COVID, you know, really focusing in on my health and everything like that. Because I, I would think like, if they don't know this, like what if something's going on with me? Because I... You know, I've, I've been healthy pretty much my whole life. So, like, I literally probably could count on two hands, like, how many times I've been to the doctor in my life. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, if something does happen, like, it's not like they can just fix it. Right. Right. So, like, it made me cherish, I guess, more my health. Yeah. And, like, they're, they don't, I mean, they're trying to do, they're trying to help you get better and everything like that. 
but they're not, they, they're not like magicians. They can't just diagnose you and, you know, cure you. And right. you, really, you got to kind of take care of yourself, you know? That's, that's where it starts. And a lot of it's making decisions as parents, too. Like, that was a big thing. Like, you know, there was a couple of times where, you know, Meg and I just said no. Like, mm -hmm. this is your option. Yeah. You know, we can do this. No, we don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, and it wound up being the right decision. Me, I mean, you get parental instincts pretty darn quick. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel like we got them pretty darn quick. I mean, we got a crash course mm -hmm. in, you know, the NICU and being at the hospital. I mean, that's for sure. But, um, you know, it really, it really jumpstarts your parental instincts. Hey, you realize you have to advocate for your kids. Correct. You have to be very in the know. Yeah, you got to advocate. Yeah. That's the, yeah. the big thing. A lot of times, um, like with uh, one of our younger one, ones, um, it was like, you know, I would expect that they would call and make an appointment and set you up on this, you know, if something's going wrong. It's like, no, we were like having to follow up. Right. And mm -hmm. you know, I was like, that was just mind boggling to me that I, I didn't know it would, like it worked like that. Yeah, I, I thought it would they call you and they want to get you better. And um, but really, it was like, oh, we got to follow up. Oh, no, they didn't answer. The lady put you on hold for 20 <laughs> minutes. I got to call back. And <laughs> it's crazy. So yeah. now, so on a, on a bit of a more uplifting note. Yeah. So we were talking about earlier about, you know, future visions. So yeah. what does Ben York see for himself in that next, let's say, three to five years? That's a great question. Um, so last year, I, uh, my territory was expanded to all of the Delaware Valley. So previously, I was really only focused on um, southern New Jersey and Philadelphia proper. And... Um, I see so much opportunity outside the city, right? Like there's companies are struggling outside the city to, to, to hire. They're feeling it the most. Um, so for the next three to five years, I envision my overall billing, right? Like my personal production um, to go up because it's taken a back seat for management mm -hmm. during COVID and even a little bit before COVID. Um, but now with more opportunity given to me, um, I'm really going back taking a deep dive, pulling up the bootstraps and focusing on my personal production. I get a lot of enjoyment out of getting business. Does that mean you're going to come to more of my networking events? Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Um, you know, so it's not a, it's not a position change. I'm not looking to, you know, make any sort of sort of shifts in my focus areas or anything like that. My next three to five years is it's kind of taking a deep dive. Um, in my own personal day-to-day -day production um, and kind of turn the clocks back a little bit, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I'm naturally a hunter. That's what I do. You know, yeah. I go out and I find opportunities to fill positions, yeah. you know? So next three to five years is really just back with the focus of that, really, yeah. which is kind of exciting for me because, you know, I love managing. I love coaching, love yeah. leading, all those things. Um, but there's a certain fulfillment I get out of personal production. Yeah. And Nothing's better than getting that no. big sale, getting that yeah. goal. Yeah. You know, it's also the coach, like you said, but you being the one to get that goal feels yeah. good. Yeah, hoisting the trophy, <laughs> winning the game. Yeah. It often but, leads to, like, leading by example is a big thing for oh, me. Oh, huge. You know, like, yeah. it, 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 there's not enough leading by example. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like so if I can get back to a point where I really, you know, can – focus on me i know it'll have a ripple effect on 100%. everybody else you know yep so that's it's not some sort of you know grandiose three to five year plan it's really yeah. just deep diving back in on on me and you know um kind of 
like I said, turn the clocks back a couple of years. And to be fair, I mean, you're still very, I mean, how old are you now? Again? 33. Yeah. So, I mean, even three to five years, you're going to just be my age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you, you kind of can, right? Like really grind back again. And that's going to buy you 15 years at the end of your sure. life that again, it's just going to be complete fulfillment. Um, so, you know, with that, I feel like we're, we're getting close to the end. And the Ty, Ty always has the question <laughs> for everyone. All right. So can you give our listeners uh, a mistake or um, something, you know, a adversity you faced all, you know, throughout your life? Um, but the biggest one that you, you know, really learned a lesson from. Um, I was Justin did prepare me for this and I was trying to think of the best example. And the um, only reason I did that for the audience is Ben is very optimistic <laughs> like me. So I knew it would take him a while if we asked him on the spot to go through his brain yeah. and I'm, I'm the same way. something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I've been underestimated my whole life. My whole life. Always the smallest guy on the ice. Um, I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, like just the way it was, right? Like, you know, I didn't, I was at a, I was at a school with all boys in high school, right? Like, you know, 280 kids in my graduating class, right? How do you stand out with a bunch of guys? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, even in business, right? Coming out, 22 year old kid trying to get in a really, you know, really um, competitive environment in the staffing world. You know, um, my manager, we joke about it to this day. She didn't want to hire me. You know what I mean? Like she did not want to hire me. And it took convincing from from several of the other people that I, I interviewed with um, to convince her to hire me. And now mm. now she we joke about it. But. <laughs> Um, so I'd say the biggest lesson I learned is, and it kind of, I kind of touched on this before it's perception is, is, is big, right? How you're perceived amongst your peers, how you're perceived people you don't know the first impression, all that stuff, right? That was drilled into me from an early age. Like, like my dad, going back to him as an example, you know, perception, reputation, all those things are, are crucial mm -hmm. right yep. um so i always had this mentality that my my time was worth as much as your time mm. doesn't matter what i made 35 grand a year or whatever it was you know i i wanted it to appear that i was valuable and that my time again is as valuable as the other person on the on the other end of the line um so I was always interested in being the most educated person, right? Having the most facts at my fingertips, being able to shift and pivot, um, you know, but, but having that, always having that thought that people are going to underestimate you. Mm -hmm. I think that's really what drives me. Like, I want you to underestimate, underestimate me, you know, even in coaching, right? Like a lot of the guys I coach against in private prep school league, I mean, they played professional hockey. They played, Division one hockey. Mm -hmm. I didn't play division one hockey. You know what I mean? Just because they played division one hockey though, or they played professional doesn't mean they're the best coach or leader. Right. So I want to be underestimated. And I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned in all aspects. You underestimate me. I'm just going to go out and prove you wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest thing there too was, which I've learned because I'm similar to you. I've always been the smallest in the class, all that stuff. And what I've learned over the years, um, which you're kind of saying the same thing is hard work doesn't lie no so you know you could be the biggest guy in the room and you know talk and talk about all the things you're doing or going to do and all that stuff but if you're not putting in the work it's going to show eventually whether that's in a sport 
whether that's in sales, which that's probably the biggest, you know, example we can give. Yep. Um, you know, it's hard work at the end of the day is all that really matters. If you're going to put in the time, you're going to, you know, you're going to get there. You're yep. going to be successful. Yeah. And that's what's changed now is like, what is hard work now? You know, like you get looked at a certain way because you're on the golf course, right? Mm -hmm. Making connection, closing deals. To me, that's valuable work. Right. It may not seem hard to you. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not necessarily saying, right, like going to pour concrete sure. or something like that. Sure. It's just putting in the time yeah. and not sitting on Netflix, <laughs> yeah. right? Or sitting on Facebook.com and not posting or nothing, just scrolling through and looking at people's stuff. Right. 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 Well, it's mastering the talents, right? It's, you know, the expression hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Mm -hmm. And that's simply because you build confidence through hard work. And to your point earlier, you build confidence from doing the things daily. So picking up the phone and making the calls and getting cursed out and being yep. told no and and building that thicker skin, having that underdog mentality that I'm going to run faster because hungry dogs run fast. Yep. And just doing it, repetition over and over. And eventually you get to a point where you have enough confidence that, as you were saying, my time is equally valuable. I don't care if you make $6 million you know, a year and I only make X. Our time is equally valuable because I bring expertise, facts, and things to the table that you also need. Yep. yep. And you you do a great job of this too, Justin. I mean, like you meet somebody, you know, your first impression is tremendous, right? Like when you meet somebody, they yeah. remember you because of how you present, you know, how you communicate, right? And just think, you know, how many, what's that ripple effect like? You know, how many times, you probably do this too, how many times do you say, oh, I got a guy named Justin that you got to meet? Yep. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or maybe you do that for me, or maybe you yeah. do that for whatever, yeah, right? It's, it, and then you you meet that person, and it's the impression is still there, and you live up to the expectation. Yeah. You know? Yep. Couldn't agree more, and I appreciate the compliment. I'll, I'll pay that 20 on the back end. <laughs> <laughs> clip that. Yeah, clip that. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I think uh, that is a perfect stopping point at this uh, at this part of the venture. So, Ben, we greatly appreciate you coming on, Thanks sharing with the audience. And again, guys, we're going to definitely mix it up a lot more because we want to be fair to the entire market, realizing that just like Ben, Ben has built a beautiful life, something I'm very proud to have him in my tribe and call him a friend and see every day. And he does bring you know different things into my life that we're constantly exchanging value. So continue to work hard out there. Be okay with being the underdog and fight for everything that's yours. And as always, friends, make it the best day ever. Best day ever, gang.